John chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, turn there. John chapter number 12, uh, continuing our series Thrive, understanding we were made for more. And really, this is kind of a uh, theme for our year. So we're going to be looking at this kind of subject in particular for the next uh, several months. And uh, today's message is really a continuation of last week's message. So uh, it's kind of a two-parter. Uh, instead of keeping you for like an hour and a half or two hours last week, I thought I'd split it up. So I'm sure many of you are thankful for that. Uh, but anyway, this is kind of a one continuous message, one continuous thought uh, this morning. So John chapter 12, we're going to start verse number 23. So once you find your place, uh, why don't you go ahead and stand if you can. John chapter 12, starting verse number 23. We're going to look from verse 23 all the way down to verse 28. Follow along with me, if you would, while I read this passage. The Bible says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor." Verse 27, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Remember this is Jesus right before he's about to go to the cross. He knows what's going to happen. So kind of shows his humanity here in verse number 27. Uh, he knows the pain that he's going to have to endure. So he's speaking to his heavenly father. Basically, I don't want to have to go through this. Uh, but as we continue on, father, save me from this hour. But then he transitioned his thought, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Basically saying, I don't want to have to go through this, but I understand this is your purpose, this is your glory, so I'm going to go through it for you. Verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. God, I thank you so much for the the people that are here today, Lord, and, and for the, the great music that we've had and the congregational singing and the special music. And God, I pray that you just help us as a church to continue to go forward. God, I pray that you'd help us as we continue looking at this series over the next several months. I pray that you'd help us to realize that you have a purpose for our lives that is greater than our purpose. And Lord, I, I am truly excited about this series, uh, maybe more so than any of the series that I've done uh, since I've been here, just because of the significance of it. And, and really understanding that our identity should be tied to you and you alone. And Lord, I know there's a misconception today in, in our world, and our churches, that we feel like we have to have a little bit of the world within our lives. Uh, Lord, that's a, that's a false lie that the world is painting for us. And God, I pray that you'd help us understand this, this truth today as we look at glorifying you and what that means specifically for our lives. And Lord, I thank you so much that you came to, to live a sinless, spotless life. I'm so thankful that you came to die, and I'm so thankful that you didn't stay in the grave. God, I'm thankful that you rose victoriously from death so that we have an opportunity to go to heaven if we trust you as our Savior. And Lord, I pray that there's someone here today that has never trusted you as their Savior, that today might be that day. And Lord, for those that are Christians that, that have put their faith and trust in you, help us to, to realize that we have a purpose, or you have a purpose for our lives that's far greater than our purpose and our understanding. And God, I pray that you'd help us to grasp that over the next several weeks. Lord, we love you in Christ name. I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. We're going to be looking at this thought this morning, reflecting God's glory. Remember, just kind of a little synopsis of kind of what we talked about last week, since this is kind of a continuation message. The world says, love life, gain life. But Jesus says, love life, lose life. 
The world says, let go of life and you lose it all. But Jesus says, let go of life and you find it all. And in order to find life, we must be willing to lose the life that we hold dear. And that's a hard concept for many of us to understand because we feel like we have to keep the life that we have. Because again, there's this misconception in our churches and in our understanding based on the world that you can't give up certain aspects of your life. And I've seen many people over the past year and the past years grow mightily in the Lord. But I've also seen many people that are unwilling to give up certain aspects of their life. And honestly, if many of us were to be honest today, we'd probably have to say that's us as well. There are certain aspects in our lives that we're unwilling to give up. Because we feel if we give it up, we're going to be losing a part of ourself that we hold dear. But Jesus, as he was talking about it last week, verse 25, He that loveth his life, you're not going to gain anything. You're actually going to lose it. And he that hateth his life in the world shall keep it unto life eternal. If you want to have the life that is flourishing, that is thriving, that is abounding, the Christian life that God has for us, if we want to be the fully committed disciple that Jesus intends for us to be, then we have to be willing to give up things that we hold dear and making sure that our thoughts, our desires, our will is all in alignment with Jesus' thoughts, His desire, His will. You see, being a fully committed disciple, as we talked about last week, is not just adding Jesus to the life we're already living. And I fear that so many of us have done this, and I know I am guilty of this as well in my own life, that instead of taking things away and putting Jesus on the top, I put Jesus in comparison to everything else, and that's not how it should be. You see, being a fully committed disciple is abandoning the life that you are living for the life that He gives you. Losing my life is nothing more than the death of a lie. It's the death of a fake self that culture is trying to create for you. And I want you to remember this statement that we talked about last week. I don't belong to me. Let's say that again together. I don't belong to me. One more time. I don't belong to me. I know it's easy to say, but it's hard to live because all of us think that the life that we live is our life. But I'm here to tell you, according to what the Bible says, it's not your life. It's God's life. We were not made for us to do whatever we want, live however we want. Not saying we can't have joy, we can't have happiness, can't find success in this life. God wants us to find those things. But the life that we are living is intended for His honor, for His glory, for His pleasure. Not for our own. And sometimes I think we have this misconception that if we abandon the life that Jesus wants us to abandon, again, we're going to lose everything. And we have this, this idea in our, our minds that Jesus is a very oppressive individual. But Jesus isn't oppressive. We don't lose our identity when we anchor our life to Jesus Christ. We actually find our identity. We don't lose our life. We find it. But the truth is that most people will never truly find the life that God has for you. The life that is flourishing and thriving because we're unwilling to lose our life. Our preconceived notions of what it means to be an individual... <laughs> Again, this series and the greater aspect of it on Sunday mornings and even on Wednesday nights as we start this series on, in Ephesians is really about our identity. Identity not in this world, but our identity in Christ. And in order to truly live, I said this last week, but we must be willing to die. And what I mean is die to self. And I was thinking about that this week, this thought in mind. 
Dying to self is a very difficult thing, is it not? <laughs> you know, the Apostle Paul said that he had to die daily. Apostle Paul was an amazing man of God, did great things for God, and yet he himself said, I have to die daily of myself to realize that this life that I'm living is not about me. It's not for my purpose, it's not for my glory, it's not for my honor, it's for my Savior's honor. A fully committed disciple has to learn to say no to self. Isn't it easy to say no to other people? How many find it easy to say no to other people? I find it very easy to say no to other people. People ask me things like, no, I don't want to do that. And I'm not going to do that. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you pressure me. I'm not going to do that. My wife tries to get me to do things sometimes. No, I don't want to do that. But isn't it... I'm ignoring her on purpose. But isn't it easy to say no to ourselves more than... or it's not, Sorry, isn't it easy to say yes to ourselves more than saying yes to someone else. I was thinking about this concept this week. Uh, how many have children? How many have ever uh, told your children no? <laughs> yeah, all of us, right? Uh, all right. Uh, how, how many, honestly, sometimes, you know, your kids can just be annoying? Uh, some, some are honest, some are not honest, some are like, my kids are here, I don't want them to know that they're annoying, but they are annoying. <laughs> We're all annoying. You know, we talked about that last week, and some are like, hey, man, look right there. Hey, listen to the pastor right now. He's talking to you. I'm talking to all of us. But I was thinking about it this week, you know, we've got uh, uh, two kids here on this earth, got a couple in heaven, but uh, our oldest here on earth, uh, Nate, he's, he's four and a half, he's going to be five, you know, he's at four-nager stage, you know, or you know, he thinks he knows everything, or he wants to know everything, and he's very inquisitive, like, you know, most kids that age are, and uh, he's very I intelligent, too, he, he, he knows a lot of things and understands a lot of things, but he's in that questioning stage where he wants to know why, you know, don't, don't you love that stage as a parent? Like, why, 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 why? I've already answered, shut up! <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to say that kind of stuff as a pastor, but I'm sorry, I did, it just, it just came out. Please forgive me, I'll be at the altar possibly later. Didn't say today, but maybe later. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking about it this week, you know, there, there's a lot of times where, where Nate comes to me and... And, uh, you know, the job of a pastor, it, it, unless you've ever been in the ministry, you don't fully understand everything that it entails uh, and, and the comprehensiveness of it all. And, you know, it's not just trying to, to find a message and study God's Word and trying to, you know, speak to Him to, to see what He wants to, to, for me to give to the church. Uh, it's, you know, all the, all the uh, administrative type things that I have to do and, and uh, even, obviously, different series and counseling and different things like that. So it's one of those, you know, your mind is always busy, your mind is always thinking about things and you know, trying to help people go forward, trying to help your own self go forward, and trying to help your family go forward. And it, it's a tough balancing act. And a lot of times when I come home, it's hard to differentiate the, the difference between, okay, I got my family and I got the ministry, because they all kind of flow together. Because, you know, I get a call in the middle of the afternoon, in the middle of the night, and someone's in trouble, they need my help. So a lot of times I'll have to go and try to, try to be a help, try to be a blessing to them. And the, the thing that I realize is that, you know, a lot of times when I come home, uh, sometimes I've had a hard day at, at the office just trying to study and seek the Lord and, and dealing with certain problems or people. Um, and the last thing I, last thing I want to do, I'm kind of telling on myself today, the last thing I want to do is really kind of play with my kids because I, I, I'm so kind of mentally stressed out about some things. So I just want to kind of sit in, in the recliner, you know, watch a movie, kind of edge, and just not, not really do anything, not really think about anything. I come home from lunch sometimes, and it's usually always the worst time because Amanda's, you know, just put, you know, Noah down, and Nate's in another room, and as soon as I, like, I walk in the door, Nate, like, hears me, and he comes out, and he's, like, jumping all over me, and she's trying to get rest because the beast is finally down. <laughs> she's like, why? Why do you do this? I'm like, well, I have a camera, and I said, no, I don't. 
But the point I'm trying to make is that a lot of times when I come home in the afternoon or I come home at the end of the day, Nate's like, hey, Dad, you want to play? You know what my first answer is? Yes, I do. No, I don't. I don't want to play because most of his games are very annoying. I mean, super annoying. You know, you know um, some of the games, that, it's not so much that they're annoying. It's just that, you know, after like two or three times, like, I am done with this. Like, I enjoyed it when I was five or when I was 10, but I don't enjoy it when I'm 34, 35, or whatever it is. Uh, one of the games that he likes is called Don't Break the Ice. How many have ever heard of that game, know that game? That's a phenomenal game, isn't it? No, it's not. <laughs> the reason why it's not phenomenal is because I have to put it together, or my wife has to put it together. And I told Nate the other day, I said, I'm going to enjoy this game so much better when you learn how to put it together, because he doesn't understand how to stretch it. and you know, all that kind of, Anyway, um, so a lot of times I'm like, Hey, Dad, you want to play a game? No, I don't, because I know what it entails. And I find myself saying no a lot to my son in areas like that. And I know sometimes we need to say no to our kids because, hey, I didn't eat my food, but can I have snacks and dessert? No, you don't need that. You need to eat your food. But I find myself saying no a lot more to my son, to my family, but I find myself saying yes to myself. You know, many of you know that I, I love to golf. <laughs> And a lot of times someone, I might have, a, have had a rough day or a rough week and, you know, someone texts me or calls me like, hey man, you want to play golf? I got a good friend up in uh, Gainesville, Tyler Bittner, he's a pastor up there and we golf a lot together and he'll be asking me, hey, you want to play golf? And um, usually I'm like, oh, I got to talk to my wife. I usually don't say that, but sometimes I do. <laughs> but uh, I, I've started doing this and again, I'm telling on myself, I started doing this and it, it's funny, Amanda's response, I'm like, hey, Tyler really wants to go play golf. And she's like, okay, that's fine. I'm not his wife. He can play golf if he wants. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand me. Tyler really wants to play golf. You know, he's had a hard week, you know, and he's dealing with some things and problems, you know, being a pastor. And that's fine. He can go play golf if he wants. No, no, no. You're not getting it, Amanda. He really wants to play golf, and he'd like me to play with him. You know, it'd be a great outreach opportunity, a great fellowship opportunity. It doesn't usually go well that way. And then I have to like, okay, okay. What I mean is I'd like to play with him. Oh, okay. Well, uh, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. But the, most of the time, she, you know, she lets me play. But the thing is, most of the time, <laughs> not always. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. But the thing is, it's for like, you know, drawing on me last night and creating that scar. That's, that's why I know. Uh, the thing is, a lot of times, the, the point I'm trying to make, you know, someone will ask me and I'm like, yeah, I'll play. I've had a hard week, I've had a rough week, so yeah, I'll do it. But then Nate will come, and Dad, hey, you want to play this game? You want to watch a movie? No. You know what I'm doing? I'm saying yes to myself, but I'm saying no to other people. And, and the Lord has really burdened me and convicted me about that, because again, it's so easy to say yes to ourself. It's hard to die to self, is it not? And I realize that this is a very important time in my son's life and my family's life. And, and I've, I've tried hard or harder this week in the past several weeks that when Nate comes to me and he wants to do things or wants to play games, I'm like, you know what? I, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. How about, how, about, how about we play like three games? We'll play three games together because I know it's not going to be that long. And, and what typically happens is I start playing those games and I'm like, you know what? I'll play a few more because I want to be with my son and I, I want to I spend time with him. But isn't it easy to, to be like that? No, son. No, wife. I'm not going to do that. But if an opportunity comes for us, okay, yeah, I'm fine with that. 
Because it's all about us, isn't it? At least that's how it comes across sometimes. Dying to self is really the key to fullness. You see, the fuller we are of ourselves, the less full we are of Jesus. The thriving, flourishing, abundant life that Christians can enjoy is not found in more of you, it's found in more of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist speaking, he says, He must increase, but I must what? Decrease. It's kind of a movement that's gone around the past several years, and many people have those wristbands that I am second. You know, it kind of comes from this, uh, this passage that Jesus Christ, God, must increase in our lives. He must be at the prominent position of authority in our lives, and we must decrease. But it's hard for us to do that, is it not? It's hard for us to put someone else above us, whether it be a man, whether it be a woman, whether it be a, a teenager. It's hard for us to put someone else above us in our lives. And what happens is that we're living life, life like we belong to ourselves. But the truth is, you don't belong to you. You belong to Him. Losing your fake self and finding your identity in Christ will make you a different person. It will bring you on a journey of growth and transformation that will make you more like Jesus Christ. And this is the key to the flourishing, thriving you. You see, this is the you that your spouse wants to be married to. This is the you that your kids want to be raised by. This is the you that your coworkers want to be around. It's the you that even you want to be around. It's the you that doesn't freak out when things don't go your way. It's the you that is more stable, more durable, more Christ-anchored because you are not in control. And again, that's a hard thing for many of us to understand. It's a hard thing to give up control. And I struggle with that too. I can be very much a perfectionist and, and the Lord has had to get that out of me the past three years. And Chris, it's not about you. It's not about what you want. And even being a pastor and trying to get other people to help you, it's about other people. It's about collectively getting other people together on a team. Who cares if your agenda doesn't go forward the way that you feel like it needs to go forward? Who cares if you're not in charge? I know it's a crazy concept, isn't it? But who cares? Because I, Jesus, I'm the one that's in charge. The Bible says in Psalm 100, verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. Didn't say we are God. I know we act that way. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. You know what the verse is telling us? Like many other verses in the Bible, it's all about Him. It's not about you. Adam Clark, he once said, Whatever a man sacrifices to God is never lost. For he finds it again in God. And that's a true statement, but I think we can add more to it. Whatever a man sacrifices to God is never lost. Really, it's multiplied in God. I want you to take the thing that you have in your life that you think that you must have in order to bring whatever, satisfaction, happiness, significance, and give it to Jesus. And in that moment of giving it to Jesus, in the moment of surrender, you're going to feel something. You're going to feel great pain because you're giving up something that you hold dear but then God is going to do an amazing work in your life. And you're going to look back in time, whether it be months or years, and you're going to think, how foolish was I to even think I was sacrificing anything? Again, we have this misconceived notion that, 
man, I'm really sacrificing some things and giving my life to Jesus. We're not sacrificing anything at all. We're actually gaining more. God's going to begin to develop things in your life. The thing that we thought we were losing was actually the thing that was holding us back. And I learned that in my life about seven years ago when we went through everything with our son, Logan, and passed away. It'll, it'll be seven years this, this July. But I realized that there was things that I was holding on to that I thought was making me me. But once I gave them up, and it was a hard process, once I gave them up, I realized that, man, my life is so much better, so much more joyful, because I'm becoming the me that Christ wants me to be, the me that's in line with his thoughts, his motives, his desires instead of my own. You see, when you hang on to life, you actually lose it, but when you lose your life, when you surrender and radically abandon to Jesus Christ, you gain everything. I think of the story of the Virgin Mary in Luke chapter 1, when the angel came to her and she was fearful because of what was going to happen and she didn't, she didn't know how she could do it and she was afraid and, and finally she, she talked to the angel and basically said, Behold, be it unto me the handmaid of the Lord. Basically, here's what she's saying. I'm fearful about this. I don't understand this. But I don't belong to me. I belong to God. And I'm willing to do whatever he asked me to do. That's an amazing thought this morning. And that was all free because that was some of last week. But as we look in John chapter 12, as we continue this study this morning, I want you to look at verse number 27. The Bible says, Now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus speaking here. Now is my soul troubled. Why is his soul troubled? He's about to go to the cross. He knows what's going to happen. He's already made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He knows that just in a few days, in a, in a matter of time, that he's going to have to suffer an immense, agonizing death. My soul is troubled, and this word trouble basically means stirred or agitated. My soul is stirred, it's agitated. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, kind of like I've done at times in my life. Father God, save me from this this situation that I'm going through or will have to go through because I don't want to have to go through it. Save me from this hour. But then he transitions his thought, but for this cause came I into this hour. What Jesus is saying is, you know what? Again, it's about you. It's about his heavenly Father. It's a shocking statement when you think about it because this passage shows our Lord's humanity. Salvation of mankind rested upon what he was about to do on the cross. But we see something very important in verse number 28. He says, Father, glorify thy name. Here's one of the main points of the message today. We exist to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. What's the purpose of living our lives the purpose of living our lives is to bring honor and glory and majesty and praise to our Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19 says what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Hey, the life that you're living is not about you. Verse 20, what's it say? For ye have... For you are bought with a price. What was the price? It was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
But then verse 20 continues. Since we are bought with the price, what are we supposed to do? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So this verse, this passage, is indicative of really the whole Bible. Your life is not your own. Your life belongs to Jesus Christ. He has purchased you. He has paid for you with His blood on the cross. So what you're supposed to do with your life is not live it for yourself, not gain everything you can gain, but glorify God in living your life. How do we glorify God? I'm glad you asked. You didn't? I'm glad you didn't ask because I'm going to answer that. You know, many have heard maybe a statement like, the chief end of man is to glorify God. Our mission in life is to glorify God, but what does that truly mean? You know, this concept of glorifying is kind of a foreign concept in our our society today. It's really not part of our natural vernacular. We don't go around and say, hey, I exist to glorify you. We don't come home, uh, you know, from, from work, and I don't usually come home and say, honey, I'm here to glorify you. Now, I've said things like that before, and then she looks at me strange. I don't know why she looks at me strange when I say that. I'm just trying to be all biblical here, and she's like, just stop, because she knows it's kind of a farce. We don't, we don't talk like that. But to glorify means to bestow honor, praise, or admiration on someone. People tend to glorify other people. They tend to praise other people. Sometimes we, we praise athletes. We glorify them for their physical talents and abilities and their championships that they've won. Sometimes we gain or we, um, we glorify or praise political leaders. And if you do, there's probably a problem with you. But we glorify them because of who they are, but most of the people that are in those positions of leadership are very sinful. And really, it's more about themselves. Even the Christians that are in there, it's about themselves too. Now, there are Christians that are doing good that are doing good for the Lord and in the position of leadership. But what I see a lot of times in, in the society that we live, in the political scene, in the, in the athletic scene, in the Hollywood scene, yeah, they have a stage, but it's all about their stage. <laughs> it's all about them. And even the Christians, and there, again, there are some that are doing right, and they're, they're living for God as best they can, but when given an opportunity to talk about Jesus and promote Jesus and be biblical, I don't, I don't know if it's up to me to say that kind of stuff. Why? It's in God's Word. We exist to glorify Him, to praise Him, to admonish Him, to admire Him. Not ourselves, but it's about our career. If I say some things that might ruffle some feathers, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose this life that I hold dear. I'm going to lose the status that I have. You see, the reality is that when we give praise and honor and admiration to an individual, they often can and do let us down because mankind is corrupt and sinful. It's like what it says in Romans 1, and 23. We've exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man. Man is corruptible. God is incorruptible, uncorruptible. And instead of glorifying, praising God for who He is, living our lives for His honor, we're living our lives for someone else's honor, for someone else's praise. Jesus died for our sins. Yes, that's true. But this wasn't the sole purpose for his coming. He died to glorify his Father. He was willing to endure the pain, the agony of the cross, to glorify his Father's name. Another way to look at this word of glorifying is this. It really means to magnify. Glorifying really means to magnify. 
which means to make bigger, to make clearer, to make more visible. You ever look through a magnifying glass? You see things a little bit clearer because it's a little bit bigger, and you can see it much better. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he knew what he must endure, but he was willing to endure it to make sure that his Father was magnified or more visible. And in a sense, what he was saying when he went to the cross was, Father, I'm going to endure for you. I'm going to the cross that you get the praise. You know, that should be the central theme of our lives. Lord, whatever I have to go through, I'll go through it for you so that you get the praise. But how many of us live our lives that way? Don't raise your hand. But how many of us live our lives that way? Father, I'm going to go through whatever I have to go through so that you get the praise, even if it's something that's very painful. You know, to be honest, when we lost our son almost seven years ago, that wasn't my first thought. Lord, I'm excited about going through this so that you get the praise and honor and glory. That wasn't my thought at all. My thought was, God, why? Why do I have to go through this and someone else does it? I'd much rather someone else go through this so then they can glorify you and honor you and I can just live my life however I want to live. That was really my attitude, my thought, and if we're honest, it's probably your attitude sometimes too. I don't want to have to go through this. And if you don't have that attitude, that's great, and, and, and I, I commend you for that. But I've struggled with that a lot in my life. I don't want to have to go through this. God, make someone else go through it. But really, the bigger picture is everything I've gone through in my life pales in comparison to what Jesus went through. Everything you've gone through in your life or will go through pales in comparison to what your Savior went through for you. And we need to have this attitude of, God, I don't understand it, I don't like it, but I'm willing to endure for you so that you get the glory. So you are magnified. So you are made bigger. It's the same concept that was back in Luke 22 when Jesus was in the garden. He prays, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. I don't want to go through it. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy be done. John 12, 27. What shall I say? I don't want to have to do this. For this hour, for this cause came I into this hour. But Father, glorify thy name. And as soon as Jesus says this, he hears his voice from heaven and he says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. You see, God had glorified his son's name through his life and ministry up to this point. He would glorify it again through his death and resurrection and ascension and eventual second coming. I don't have this in your notes, but man, get this down. The reason that Jesus existed was to bring glory to his father. And the reason that we exist today is to bring glory to our heavenly father. God didn't create us to save us. He created us to show forth his glory. And in saving us, he gets the glory. Our salvation is for God's sake, not for ours. It's yet another way that we can display his glory. This is why the Christian life makes so little sense to Christians, because Christians have developed a counter-Christian worldview that puts them at the center of the universe. But I'm here to tell you, you're not at the center of your universe. God is at the center of the universe. It all revolves around Him, not around you, even though we live our lives like that. And there's nothing wrong with having things, and I've said that many times because I want people to understand that you don't necessarily have to give up at all unless Jesus asks you to give up at all. We can enjoy things in this life, and really, everything that we have should be just another way to bring honor and glory to Him. If God has blessed you with riches and, and success, then use that to glorify God. Use that to give and, and bring glory to Him and honor to Him. 
But Jesus knew what he was going to have to do. He was going to have to die. He knew what glorifying God looked like for his life, yet he still went through the pain because he knew it would bring maximum glory to his Father. Until you and I get comfortable with this reality, until you and I get this down, the Christian life is not going to make sense. It's not going to feel right. There's always going to be something missing, something that's leaving you feeling like there's got to be more. Well, there is more because this life was never just for you. And when we surrender our lives for His will, we're aligning our thoughts and desires and plans with His. This doesn't mean everything is going to get better. And if preachers tell you that or if Christians tell you that, then they're wrong. They're a liar. Things might get worse sometimes. You might have to endure some things you didn't want to endure. Well, if that's the truth and that's the case, then I say no. Well, then you're going to miss out on what a thriving, flourishing you looks like. When we look at this statement in verse 28, we've got to look at it and see how we can apply it to our lives because this is Jesus talking to his Father. Father, glorify thy name. And really when you study this verse and we study this passage and you study other passages and you understand this concept, that the sole purpose of man, sole purpose of Christians is to glorify God, really there's a couple words that we can add to this phrase right here. Father, glorify thy name. And making the application for us. And I've got written in, in my Bible beside this, I've got two words, or really a group of words. Father, glorify thy name through me. Or in me. That should be the attitude of the Christian. Father, I want to bring glory to your name, and I want it to happen in me, in my life, through my life. You see, we determine whether or not God is glorified by our attitudes, our actions, how we live our lives, what we say, what we do. Everything that we do should be to bring honor and glory to our Father. But get this down. How we live our lives is either tarnishing Jesus or it's revealing Jesus. Everything we do is either tarnishing Jesus or revealing Jesus. And most often, Christians are horrible about this because instead of revealing Jesus, instead of magnifying Jesus, all they're doing is tarnishing His name. Because they're showing the world a picture of Christ that is not a picture of Christ. It's a picture of them. Why would I want that when the, the Jesus that you serve seems to be so oppressive? Jesus isn't oppressive. He came to give us life and give us life more abundantly. You see, we're either making Him look Worse than he is, or we're making him look as good as he is. We exist to glorify God, but let's take this another step further. We exist to reflect God's glory. As a Christian, we have the responsibility of reflecting God. I want you to understand, you cannot not reflect God. He's the light, and we are to reflect his light to the world. By design, you are a God-reflector. You are a mirror of your Creator. Anybody ever looked in a mirror? All of us, right? Most of us this morning. Maybe some of you didn't. But all of us have looked in a mirror, and a mirror is just a reflection of, of the image that is cast. It's, it's seeing ourselves. And sometimes what happens is, uh, anybody ever had a mirror that gets dirty? It doesn't give a clear picture, does it? What do we have to do? We have to clean it to make sure that we're seeing exactly what we need to see. And, and so many times in our lives, instead of being that mirror that is clearly focused, our mirror is dirtied up because we've let so much of the world come into our lives. 
We're not living a pure life. We're not living a holy life because, man, that, that's, that's for all those super spiritual people. That's for the, the pastors and the ministry people. That's not for me because that, that's me having to give up my life because I need to live my life the way that I want to live my life because this life is all about me. No, it's not about you. It's all about him. Michael Leighton and I went to Las Vegas for a meeting a couple weeks ago and did, did some driving around, did some sightseeing, and uh, we were out in um, California, a little bit, little bit away from Vegas, and, and as we were driving out there, we, we saw something in a distance, and, and at first, it, it almost looked like a, a little lake, but as we got a little closer, we realized it, was, it almost looked like a, a solar panel plant, which it wasn't. We, we found out a little bit more about it. You can throw up that picture if you want. Uh, it's actually a molten salt, uh, what was it again, Mike? It's, uh, Just forgot. Those are beers, and that's, that melts to, or keeps the salt. Yeah, right so those aren't actually solar panels, panels. those are actually mirrors. And that little, little tower in the middle is, is actually molten salt that is burning at so many degrees, and it's, it's making light. And it's really kind of powering uh, the Las Vegas area and the California area. And I talked to him about it because he was stationed out in Fort Irwin, right, which is a little bit of ways from there. And I, I wanted to see if he knew about this. He didn't. I think it was, it was new since he had been there. Uh, but we started talking about it together. And, and there's an uh, amazing application that could be made there with this. Because, again, these are mirrors. And they're reflecting the sun and, and bringing light to this tower. And really, when you think about it, if each of us as Christians, as individuals, are mirrors, then we wouldn't be able to reflect very much at all. But if we're aligned as a church in the same direction, and that direction is in line with the Son, Jesus Christ, then we can reflect God so much as to make a huge impact on the world. But if one mirror is not in line to the Son, if it's in line to something else, it's not going to reflect anything, is it? It's going to reflect themselves. You see, the purpose of a mirror is to reflect the image more clearly. But in order to clearly reflect and reach our full capacity, a mirror needs to be clean. Our life must be clean. Our life must be lived to be a holy life, a life that is set apart to Jesus Christ. So here's the question this morning. What is your life reflecting? And we have that picture of the mirrors and then got a bike reflector. You know, the purpose of these is... You know, when a, when a car is coming at night and the, and the light shines on it, then they can see this. They can see the reflection. They can, they can see you more clearly. Well, the question today is, what is your life reflecting? And I said earlier that glorifying really means to magnify. And when you magnify something, you make it bigger. Who is bigger in your life because of you? You or Jesus? The answer to that question is whose glory you're living for, you or Jesus? If your life is only about your dreams, your goals, your accomplishments, then you're reflecting yourself. And there's nothing wrong with having dreams and accomplishments and goals, nothing wrong at all with that. But authentic biblical Christianity is very contagious. But cultural Christianity is very oppressive because it's tied to a philosophy of the world that will fail you, that will let you down. You see, we think the church has failed us or that Jesus has failed us, but the truth is that we failed him because we aren't aligned to his purposes to begin with. Our mirror isn't reflecting the sun. Our mirror is reflecting us. 
You see, this is about surrendering to his lordship. Many people reflect a poor image of Jesus, and we ask the question, why would I want that? Why would I want to go to your church when it's oppressive, when it's all about this and this and this and this? Our church is not about different rules. Our church is all about our Savior. And if you can't see that, you can't understand that, then you're missing the point of what this church is about. But here's the key truth that we must remember as we go forward. I don't belong to me. God, I exist for you. I exist to glorify you. I exist to be a reflector of you. Do you want people to fall in love with yourself or fall in love with your Savior? It really is a good question. How you live your life is showing people whether you want people to fall in love with you. Look at me! I mean, and look at the stuff that we post on Facebook, and I'm guilty of this. And we take 100 pictures and we only post the best one, right? Because, hey, look at how great my life is. We don't like to show people the real us, the struggling us, the us that's, that's just trying to hang on and, and hold on dearly. We, we like to paint this picture that's not reality. That's the problem with social media sometimes. Look at how great my life is. Most of the time, our life isn't that great. Do people fall in love with you or fall in love with your Savior? Does your life lead others to Christ or point others to yourself? I want to wrap up this morning looking at kind of two stories of two individuals. About five years ago, back in 2014, there was an individual named Elliot Roger. He was 22 years old at the time. And the the transcript of his life was dictated by the culture around him. Here's what he believed, and it's the thing that many people believe as well, and many Christians even believe, that mankind is nothing but an animal. There is no God. Truth is relative. It's subjective. I can make my own truth. Sex is everything. If I don't get sex, I don't have anything. That's, that's the transcript of his life. That's what he even said in some of his manifesto type things that he wrote. Here was a young man that believed the culture around him. He hated women for picking men that he deemed as less superior to himself. And he wanted to do his best to make retribution for this because he felt like women should be having sex with him instead of with other people. And when they didn't have sex with him, then it's the woman's fault. And I'm going to do my best to make sure that you pay. All he was doing was believing a lie of the culture around him that was saying, sex is everything. You need sex to be significant in your life. He was angry because at 22 years old, he was still a virgin. And I know in our society, it's like if you're 13, 14, 15 year old and you're still a virgin, whoa, what's your problem? And even Christians fall into this trap. I know this to be a case with teenagers because I was a youth pastor for seven years and it's all about sex with them. Oh man, I can't believe the pastor's talking about sex. Why? Our culture is. And look, look at the stuff you watch on TV. Look at the movies we watch. It's glorifying a sexual lifestyle. It's glorifying the, the, the life that's about ourselves. And Elliot Roger bought into this. He considered himself to be an involuntary celibate. It wasn't on purpose, it's just no one else viewed him as sexually attractive. His meaning, his identity was tied to sex. Tied to the culture. You see, the problem is that we base our standards on the world's standards. 
What does the world say we must look like in order to be significant, in order to be viewed as such? And we even fall into this mindset, even as Christians, that, man, because the culture is saying it, man, you've got to be sexy. Man, as a Christian, I've got to be sexy. Why? It is funny. It is. But how sad is it as Christians that we're falling into that trap? And I'm not saying you shouldn't look your best. I'm not saying you shouldn't work out. But what happens is the same thing that happens to the culture. You, you work out and you're eating right and you're, you're doing these different regiments and, and diets and buying these different products, but it's never enough, is it? And even the, 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 the celebrities, they, they look beautiful on the outside, but they don't feel beautiful because there's something wrong with them. Well, my nose doesn't look right. My ears don't look right. So I need to have surgery and, and correct this. Because I have this, this definition, this standard of what sexy looks like. Of what my identity should be tied to. And that's what Elliot Roger tied his identity to. That, you know what, people around me are thinking this and I have to tie into this. I have to be this person. And I'm not becoming this person, so I'm going to take care of it. In 2014, he ended up killing six people, then killed himself and injured 12 or 13 more when he opened fire in a college campus. Here's a man that actually had everything according to this world standard because he was the son of one of the directors of the Hunger Games. He had a good life according to the world standards. He had a lot of nice things. He drove a very, very nice car. But Eliot decided to believe what he was told. But I want to contrast his life with the narrative of someone else from the 1900s, the early 1900s. It's a man by the name of William Borden. William Borden also was born into a family that had everything. He was the heir to the Borden Milk, the Borden Food Company, which many of us might know today. He had significant wealth. William Borden grew up and came to Christ because of the ministry of people like R.A. Torrey and D.L. Moody. And right before he went off to Yale to the Ivy League school to, to get his education, his parents decided to send him on a trip around the world. Could you imagine your parents doing that for you? Hey, for your graduation present, I'm going to send you around the world. Graduation present for my son, I'm going to send you to like Boyd. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> about all I can afford. <laughs> Many of us are probably the same, right? You can see the world by going to Boyd, or maybe we'll go to Fort Worth. <laughs> but on this global trip around the world, he, his eyes were open to some things. He saw the oppression and poverty and slavery. On this trip that his parents furnished, God started reorienting his whole value system. He lost his life, like we talked about last week, because he said, I'd rather serve Jesus than anything else. Now, he was going to be the heir apparent to the board and milk, to the board and food company, and have millions and millions and millions of dollars, which, again, that, at that time was, and that, that's everything. He wrote his family and told them on this trip that he was going to become a missionary. One of his family members wrote back and told him, he said he was going to throw his life away if you do that. Borden went on to Yale and then to Princeton Theological Seminary. And after completion of his Ivy League training, he boarded a ship to go to China to serve as a missionary. He wanted to reach the Muslims. 
with the gospel. Before he went there, he, he decided to go to Egypt to, to study a little bit more about the Muslim culture and understand it a little bit more. At just 25 years of age, he contracted spiral meningitis, and within a month, he died. The news came back to the States. This was in the early 1900s, 1913, 15, something, like, something around that time. News came back to the States, and nearly every national newspaper picked up on the story because of the significance of this individual and the name that he had for himself. As stated in his biography, it said this, a wave of sorrow went around the world. He not only gave up his fortune, but himself to be a missionary. Borden had walked away from his wealthy fortune to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations around the world, most regarded as a tragedy. However, God took this tragedy and did something far greater than Borden could ever do. When thousands of young men and women read Borden's story in the newspapers of America, it inspired them to do the same thing that he did, to leave all that they had and give their lives to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Borden's parents were given his Bible, they found the following. Just after he renounced his fortune to go into missions, he wrote two words, no reserve. His father told him he would always have a job in the company, but then at a later point he, he rescinded that offer because he truly gave his life to Jesus Christ. And his father wasn't for that. And at this time in his life, Borden wrote two more words in his Bible. No retreat. Then they discovered when his Bible was returned to the family that shortly before his death in Egypt, he wrote two more words. No regret. Here's a man that was willing to give up everything. And he made that statement, no reserve. No retreat. There's no going back. The life that I'm living is the life that I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to tie my identity to the world. I'm not going to tie my identity to the culture around me. I'm going to tie my identity to Jesus Christ and do what he wants me to do. And even right before he died, when he contracted spiral meningitis and knew he was going to die, he still said, no regret. I have no regret because I've given my life to my Savior. I've given my life to live for him, to do what he wants me to do. These three statements are powerful. How many of us could say the same thing in our life when we truly abandon the life that we are holding dear to the life that God wants us to live? Could we say, I have no reserve, I have no retreat, and I have no regret? I look at my own life, and again, I'm still on this journey, and many of you are as well, but I hope I can reach the end of my life, whenever that might be, and I can say the same thing, that I have no reserve, no retreat, no regret for following Jesus and giving my life to him. And really, this should be the premise of a, a Christian, a young man, young woman, older man, older woman, that this is my life. My life is not meant to be lived for the culture around me. My identity is not tied into the culture around me. Again, nothing wrong with taking care of yourself and looking good and working out and those things, but Elliot Rodger was all about how much sex he had. Elliot Rodger was all about being viewed as a sexy individual, and Christians fall into this trap too. Man, hey, look at me. Look at how great I am. You're not that great. Because the life that you're living is not about you. I'm not saying you have to be frumpy and fat and don't take care of yourself. I'm not saying that at all. Do what you can, take care of yourself, because the Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Everything of our life, every area of our life, every aspect of our life should be lived not to be viewed as sexy, not to be viewed as amazing in this world, but should be viewed to live our lives for the glory of God. So maybe some of us today need to reorient our values. I'm very excited about this series because of what it could do for us as a church. Look, we've grown a lot this year, and I believe more is coming in the future. But until we get this idea, this philosophy of the world out of our lives, we're not going to truly be the Christian that God wants us to be. This message is all about the who God made you to be. You see, God placed us here for the purpose of knowing him and making him known. He placed us here to be a reflector of his, of his glory, to reflect him. But what happens so often is we're reflecting ourselves. Man, I look pretty good. My life is awesome. <coughs> reflect him by aligning yourself to him. By aligning yourself to his thoughts, his desire, not the world's. You know how you can fix that? Why don't you get in his word more? Get connected to the church more. You know, we have worship services on Sunday morning. We have discipleship on Sunday night. We're going to be transitioning some of that in the future and doing a little bit more with that, and I'm excited about that, but get plugged in. You're never going to become the best self that you can be, the best version of you, if you don't align yourself to God. Who is your life reflecting? Is it reflecting you or your Savior? We exist to glorify God, and we exist to reflect God's glory. When Jesus said in verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Could Jesus say that about our lives? I've glorified your life. And I'm going to do it again because you're going to live for me and you're going to be aligning yourself to me and my thoughts. Which individual are you today? Elliot Roger? William Borden? If we were to split the room in half, I, I dare say there's a lot of Christians, even in our church today, that are more Elliot Roger than William Borden. And that's a tough thing to say because I've been there many times thinking it's about me, it's about what my culture is saying instead of about the Christ of the culture and what he is saying. You see, so many of us are willing to give up certain aspects of our life, but I'm not going to give up that. Well, then you're not going to be the person that God wants you to be. Well, I didn't come for a message like that today. Well, it's the truth. If you want to be the best you, if you want to be a thriving, flourishing version of yourself, then live this life for him and not for you. Let's say it together. I don't belong to me. I don't belong to me. Remember that. Live that. We are made to glorify God and to reflect his glory. Everything of our life should be pointing others to Jesus Christ, not pointing other people away from Jesus Christ. So what are we doing to point people to Christ? Or what are we doing to point people to ourselves?